is able to stand before the Lord, this holy God? We're going to answer that question this morning. Turning your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 5, we're continuing our study through this book. Remember, the theme verse that we're looking at is 1 Samuel 13, verse 14, where we're told that God has sought after a man who is after his own heart. And of course, he's talking about David. But the fact is, God is still seeking to form a people, all of us, after his own heart. But to be formed into people after God's own heart, we need to know what God's heart is. And therein lies the problem. Voltaire, the French philosopher, the deist from a few hundred years ago in France, put it this way. If God has created us in his image, then we have returned the favor. In other words, every one of us is tempted and has a tendency to think that God's heart is just like our heart. I have a friend, a long-distance friend now from many years ago. He was one of my professors in seminary, and he's still teaching. Every year when he gets a new batch of students, he gives them an exam of 24 questions. And on the exam, he's trying to find out what they think Jesus is like. What's their view of Jesus? So here's a few of the questions. Is Jesus on edge? Or is he like totally chill? Does Jesus get moody? Or is he a flatliner? Absolutely unemotional. Is he the life of the party, or is he a wallflower? And on and on the exam goes. Then, after those 24 questions, there's a set of 24 more questions that are altered just a bit. And now the point of the exam is to not find out what people think about Jesus, but to find out what people's individual personalities are like. And time after time after time, the results are the same. What is revealed is that all of us have a tendency to think that God is just like us. Scott McKnight, the professor, writes this conclusion. The test results suggest that even though we like to think we are becoming more like Jesus, the reverse is probably more the case. More and more and more as we get older, we try to make Jesus more like ourselves. The Psalms address this problem in two particular places, Psalm 115, verse 8, and Psalm 135, verse 18, says this, those who make idols 
become just like them. In other words, we become like that which we worship. And if we worship a God of our own creation, if we worship a God who we think is like us, then our hearts are never going to change. Our hearts are never going to be hearts after God's heart. And so the Christian life and Christian discipleship is the process through which God, by His truth, exposes our wrong views of God's heart and brings our vision of God more into the reality of who God really is. So 1 Samuel 5 and 6 is a narrative written to correct our views of God so that we might see what God's true heart is like. And seeing God's true heart, we worship Him. And since we become like that which we worship, as we worship the true God, we become more like Him. So with that introduction, let's all stand out of reverence for God's Word. I'm not going to read all of 1 Samuel 5 and 6. I'm going to read verses 1 through 10 of chapter 5. Then we're going to skip most of chapter 6 and read verses 19 and 20. This is God's Word. When the Philistines captured the ark of God, they brought it from Ebenezer to Ashdod. Then the Philistines took the ark of God and brought it into the house of Dagon and set it up beside Dagon. And when the people of Ashdod rose early the next day, behold, Dagon had fallen face downward on the ground before the ark of the Lord. So they took Dagon and put him back in his place. But when they rose early on the next morning, behold, Dagon had fallen face downward on the ground before the ark of the Lord, and the head of Dagon and both his hands were lying cut off on the threshold. Only the trunk of Dagon was left to him. This is why the priests of Dagon and all who enter the house of Dagon do not tread on the threshold of Dagon in Ashdod to this day. The hand of the Lord was heavy against the people of Ashdod, and he terrified and afflicted them with tumors, both Ashdod and its territory. And when the men of Ashdod saw how things were, they said, The ark of the God of Israel must not remain with us, for his hand is hard against us and against Dagon our God. So they sent and gathered together all the lords of the Philistines and said, What shall we do with the ark of the God of Israel? They answered, Let the ark of the God of Israel be brought around to Gath, another city in the Philistines. So they brought the ark of the God of Israel there. But after they had brought it around, the hand of the Lord was against the city, causing a very great panic. And he afflicted the men of the city, both young and old, so that tumors broke out on them. So they sent the ark of God to Ekron, another Philistine city. But as soon as the ark of God came to Ekron, the people of Ekron cried out, They have brought around to us the ark of the God of Israel to kill us and our people. Now skip down to chapter 6, verses 19 and 20. Now here, the ark has been sent away from the Philistines. Now the ark has come back to the church. Now the ark has come back to the people of God in Israel, a place called Beth Shemesh. And yet it says that God, verse 19, struck 
some of the men of Beth Shemesh because they looked upon the ark of the Lord. He struck 70 men of them, and the people mourned because the Lord had struck the people with a great blow. Then the men of Beth Shemesh said, Who is able to stand before the Lord, this holy God? And to whom shall he go up away from us? May God bless the hearing and teaching of his inspired, infallible, inerrant, and authoritative word. This is God's word. He gave it to us because he loves us, and he wants us to know what his heart is truly like. He wants us to see how we have created him in our hearts to look just like us and to lead us to see him for who he really is, to worship him for who he really is, that we might become like him who we worship. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, would you open our eyes? We are blind in so many ways. And, and God, we don't know what we don't know. We can't see what we can't see. And so unless you show us how we have made you to be like us, will never be changed. God, bind evil, take away the darkness, bring us the light. In Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead and have a seat. So the theme this morning is we seek after God's heart through worship. As we worship the true God, we become like God. We gain hearts after God's own heart. So four attributes of God revealed in this text. First of all, worship the Lord as the living God. If you look at verses 2 and 3 of chapter 5, after the ark of God was captured, remember the ark of God was the very presence of God here on earth, the Philistines put the ark of God as a symbol of their conquering the God of Israel. They put the ark of God in the temple of Dagon. The problem was the next day when the people went in to worship Dagon, there was Dagon toppled. He was laying prostrate in a position of adoration and worship before God. Dagon is exposed as a powerless God, a dead idol before the living God who acts on his own behalf in this world and on behalf of his people. So then what do they do? Well, look at verse 3. They took Dagon and put him back into place. One of the sad realities of idolatry is that gods of humanity need to be propped up by the humans who say that they're looking to someone greater than themselves to deliver them from emptiness and insecurity. How tragic. Here we have the Philistines worshiping a God that they themselves have to prop up. But how many of us do the same thing? How many of us look to other things besides Jesus Christ 
to try to make life work. And if we really become self-aware, we're always running around trying to prop up that God so he'll deliver us. Meanwhile, the true and living God waits for us to trust and worship him. Notice the next day in verse 4, after they'd propped him up, Dagon has fallen again in a position of worship before the living God, but this time his hands have become cut off and his head has been broken off. Even when it comes to a human being without a head, without hands, you have no life. You are powerless. And God is making sure the Philistines understand that their God is a dead God. That their God is a powerless idol. Lifeless. But the God of Israel is the living God. I want you to notice too that there's nobody from Israel, there's nobody from the Old Testament church that's coming into the house of Dagon Dagon to help the God of Israel. God's taking care of everything himself because he's the living God. And this is an important principle. God doesn't need any of us. He wants us, but he doesn't need us. And that's what differentiates the true and living God from idols. God as the living God has a heart that thinks on his own, feels on his own, desires and longs on his own, and chooses on his own. He needs nothing. There is nothing we can offer the living God that he doesn't already have in himself. He doesn't need us. He doesn't need us to prop him up. He doesn't need us to save him. But beautifully, he wants us. And then we see in verse 6 that the hand of the Lord was heavy against the people of Ashdod, the Philistines. You can't miss the irony there. The hands of Dagon have been broken off. But the hand of God is active. The hand of God is alive. The hand of God is always at work around us all the time. The question is, I know you probably know that in your head, but do we live that way functionally day by day and moment by moment? Do we really believe God is the living God, active in our world, active in our circumstances, active in our own personal stories, and working his good in and through and around our lives. Many of you all know that Laurie and I, our youngest son, uh, lives in Japan. He's a missionary there, and I've had the privilege of traveling extensively through Japan. And one of the interesting things that you do when you go to Japan is you visit a Buddhist temple. Now, Buddha's not even a god. Buddha's supposedly some guy who figured out self-actualization. 
And yet you've got these people who, who go to these temples and put in all kinds of money and stuff it into a box, hoping that somehow Buddha is going to accomplish or make sure somehow Buddha is going to accomplish some good on your behalf. Well, there's an author I read recently who didn't go to Japan. He's been to another country where they worship in Buddhist temples, and he shares this story. Same thing as in Japan. you got all these desperate people, although contrary to Japan, most of the people in this scene were very poor, very destitute, and very desperate. They were stuffing in the last coins they had to try to get help from Buddha. And as the people cried out to Buddha, this, this author noticed that behind Buddha was all this scaffolding. You see, the Buddha had been there so long that he was deteriorating. He was slowly wasting away. And the author commenting on the scene wrote this. There were a group of workers diligently trying to repair a broken Buddha. Broken people were bowing down to a broken Buddha, asking the broken Buddha to fix their broken lives, while broken people tried to fix a dead, broken Buddha. How tragic. And yet, what difference does it make if we say we worship the living God and don't believe that He is actively at work in our lives even in those circumstances and difficult places where we don't know what's going to happen next. God calls us to worship him as the living God. He's got this. Whatever it is in your life, he's got it. And he's asking us to wait on him. He doesn't need us but he wants us, and he wants to reveal himself as the living God in our lives. Worship the, God, worship the Lord as the living God. Secondly, worship the Lord as the victorious king. Look at verse 4. We're going to look at the same verse again. The next day, Dagon was fallen before the ark. Both his head and his hands were cut off. Only the trunk was left. Now, I'm going to get a little gross. In this time of history... It was a common wartime practice that if a victorious army had defeated another army, they would mutilate the bodies. They would cut off the hands of the soldiers and cut off their heads. And they did this so that anybody from that conquered nation who walked by would be reminded that they had been humiliated. They had been completely and utterly conquered. And the conquering nation is the victor. So that when this happened in the house of Dagon, the Philistines knew exactly what the God of Israel was saying. I am the God of victory. And nothing gets in my way. And nothing thwarts my purposes. And again, I ask each of us, is that our understanding of the victorious king? Do you believe that in your life right now, 
Nothing is thwarting the progress of the kingdom in your life. Do you believe that the kingdom of God is coming in your life, through your life, on earth, as it is in heaven? Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the conquering king? Do you believe he's the soon and coming king to set up complete victory so that all that is untrue might be true and all that is wrong may be right? What happens here is, as you read the text in chapter 5, the ark of God becomes sort of a hot potato to the Philistines. It's like, I don't want it, you take it. I don't want it, you take it. I don't want it, you take it. Nobody wants it. And what ends up happening is God goes on a victory tour through the five main cities of the Philistines. I have a map of, uh, of Philistia, uh, which again, Philistia in the Middle Eastern language is Palestine. Uh, the west coast of uh, the Holy Land uh, is the land of the Philistines. And the five cities of the Philistines, starting down here, left corner, Gaza, that's where you get the Gaza Strip, uh, Ashkelon, Ashdod, going up, then go to the right, Ekron, and go south, Gath. Those are the five cities of the Philistines. And the ark started in Ashdod, and then they just sent it from city to city to city. And what they didn't realize is God was going to every city proclaiming his victory. God was proclaiming that he alone is the victorious God. The kingdom is coming, and nothing can thwart it. But everywhere the ark went, victory was proclaimed by God by sending a panic upon the hearts of his enemies and bringing tumors in the lives of his enemies and sending mice or rats to destroy the crops and fields and land of his enemies. Finally, in chapter 6, after the victory tour, the Philistines wave the white flag. And they say, we've got to send this back to Israel. But the point is, there wasn't one Philistine. By the way, when the ark goes to Gath, does that ring a bell for you? Gath is the hometown of Goliath. Goliath, whom we're going to meet in just several chapters, was from Gath. So Goliath had already seen what the victory of the Lord, of the God of Israel, what he can bring. But they wanted nothing to do with him. So they send it back after the victory tour. Fifty-three years ago, almost to the day today, the Apollo 11 astronauts went on their own victory tour. Remember uh, Neil Armstrong and uh, Michael Collins and Edwin Buzz Aldrin? Being the first men who were able to be part of a successful moon mission, moon landing, they went on a world tour. It was called the Giant Step World Tour. Remember Neil Armstrong's words, uh, one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. So they went on this, this giant step world tour, 38-day world tour, 29 cities, 24 countries. Now, what 
Nixon said was it was a victory tour for all of humanity to know that we put a man on the moon to move all of humanity forward. That is a bunch of bunk. You know what it was? It was Americans going nanny, nanny, boo, boo to the communists. We got there first. We're better than you. You're losers. And there you go. Now, God doesn't have that kind of attitude. But the fact is, God wants the world to know there's only one way there's victory in this world. It is not through human strength. It is not through nuclear power. It is not through the leaders of governments of the nations. God and God alone brings the victory. And so I ask you, what are you looking for? What are you looking to in your life to bring victory? Are you hanging your head in discouragement? Are you disheartened? Are you expecting total defeat? Or are you looking to the victorious king? Worship the Lord as the living God. Worship the Lord as the victorious king. Thirdly, worship the Lord as the holy judge. All through chapters 5 and 6, God is revealed repeatedly as the holy judge, the righteous judge of all the earth. In chapter 5, the Philistines are worshiping idols, so the holy judge destroys their God. The Philistines refuse to worship God, so the holy God judges them with a plague that they might know that there only is one true God. The Philistines refuse to honor God, so the holy God judges them with emotional terror and fear. I believe, longing for them to turn like the Ninevites did to God in repentance. And then the Philistines didn't glorify God as the God of the universe. And in chapter 6, the holy God judges them by sending rodents to destroy their land. Now, God's not doing this because he's mean. God's doing this because he wants to reveal his heart to the nations. As the people of God, Israel was given the responsibility to be a blessing to all the nations of the earth. It is our role to not only know God, but to reveal and reflect and represent God. And God was doing this by showing the Philistines that he was the holy God. But God wasn't done yet. He wasn't only showing the Philistines that he was the holy God. Look at chapter 6, verses 19 and 20. At Beth Shemesh, a city in the Old Testament church. We don't know exactly what happened, but some of the men, 70 of them to be exact, looked irreverently at the ark. We don't know if they opened it up and looked inside. We don't quite know what happened, but they did something that was out of accord with how God said he's to be treated as holy. And God put them to death. You know, our culture is so quick to want to focus on God as love. And maybe even in your life, you're so quick to emphasize God as mercy and God as grace. And of course he is. Don't, don't ever think for a second that just because God is merciful and gracious and loving and kind that he ceases to be holy. 
in the letter of grace. In Galatians 6, the Apostle Paul, the Apostle of Grace, says, Dear friends, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. A person will reap what they sow. And that leads the people of Beth Shemesh to cry out in verse 20 when the 70 men were killed. Who can stand before the Lord, this holy God? 20 years later, we're going to find out in the next few chapters. David wants to bring the ark from where it ends up at the end of this narrative. And a good friend of him named Uzzah is helping to bring the ark on a cart the way it's supposed to be. And they, and they, they hit a bump, and the cart begins to sort of topple, and it looks like the ark's going to fall off. And sincerely wanting to protect the ark, Uzzah puts out his hand and touches it. And according to God's commands, no one but a priest is allowed to touch it. And even the priest's not allowed to touch it. He has to touch the poles. And right there on the spot, Uzzah's killed. God's not being mean. He's saying, hey, hey, <laughs> you're approaching somebody here that you can't comprehend. He is not a God to be trifled with. And you see, the more we understand that, the more precious grace is. If, if God's not a holy God, if God's like, yeah, you know, he's a little bit different. He's, he's, he's a bit more moral than I am. Then grace is like, Okay, grace, cool. But if God is the infinitely holy God before whom none of us can even stand without being disintegrated and grace is the offer of being able to approach that God without fear, okay, grace is really something. But grace is nothing without holiness. And we must not allow grace as Christians to swallow up or diminish holiness. God is the holy judge of all the earth. Worship the Lord as the living God, the victorious King, the holy judge, and then fourthly, worship God, the Lord, as the gracious Redeemer. Verse 20 of chapter 6, who is able to stand before the Lord, this holy God? The answer is none of us. In our own record building of righteousness, none of us can stand before the Lord, this holy God. But there is one who was a man who was able to stand before the Lord, this holy God. And his name is Jesus. And Jesus, in order 
for us to be able to stand with him in the presence of this holy God in order for us to experience the victory of the victorious king, in order for us to experience the love and all the benefits of the active hand of God, of the living God, Jesus allowed all the things that God allowed to happen to him in 1 Samuel 5 and 6 to happen to Jesus himself. You realize what happened. In 1 Samuel 5, the Philistines thought they had conquered the God of the universe. In first century Jerusalem... Jesus allowed the Romans and the Jews to think that they had conquered Jesus. The Ark of the Covenant was placed in the house of Dagon. The message was that Yahweh, the Lord, was now nothing but a house servant to Dagon. Humiliation. And Jesus allowed himself to be humiliated, to be thought a common criminal. Jesus took upon himself the plagues that our sin deserved that were thrown on the Philistines because they didn't worship the true God. Jesus took on the plague of God's wrath. We don't treat God with reverence just the way the men of Beth Shemesh failed to. And fire should come out from the throne of God and consume us. But instead, Jesus allowed himself to be consumed so that we could live. Jesus experienced God's wrath. Jesus was terrified on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The terror that the Philistines experienced should be our terror. But instead, Jesus took it upon himself. Calvary is the new and better and greater house of Dagon where the God of the universe appears to be defeated, appears to be humiliated, appears to be overthrown. But just like the next day, Dagon was flat on his face, prostrate before the living God, in three days Jesus rose and showed the universe the victorious God had come through once again. And so in your lives today, what are you worshiping? A partial figment of your own imagination? Creating God after your own image? Or are you worshiping the living God? Are you believing and trusting and hoping that God is at work around you all the time? That he's working his good that he's working his plan, that he's the victorious king, that nothing can thwart the kingdom of God from coming. The gates of hell will not prevail against what God is doing in your life. And are you treating God as holy? Or have you bought into cheap grace? Let me just encourage all of us 
to run back to the gracious Redeemer that has gone to unfathomable lengths to reveal his true heart to every one of us. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word that takes our erroneous views of you and corrects them. Lord, wherever we've been exposed today as having wrong vision, wherever we've been exposed today of creating you in our own image, God, would you enable us to worship you as you really are so that we might become like that which we worship, you. God, if there's anybody here this morning that doesn't know Christ as their personal Savior and Lord, might today be the day of their repentance and faith. May they turn from their own efforts to build their own record to stand before this holy God when in fact none of us can apart from Christ. Thank you, Jesus, that for us you would be humiliated. That for us you would allow yourself to be seen as defeated. That for us you would take upon all of our terror and the punishment that our irreverence deserved. And that you would rise, showing the universe, including the powers of darkness, that they have been eternally defeated, not just by God, but Jesus, in all of the lives of those whom you came to redeem. God, may we leave here with hope and boldness and joy. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand. Let's hear the benediction, the promise of God's gracious kindness and power upon our lives as we leave. And now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord turn his countenance upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you his peace, both now and always. Amen. Amen. Amen.